GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Welcome to another episode of the Health Cert GP Insights podcast. Today we're talking about cosmetic consultations, focusing particularly on the critical issue of psychological patient conditions and body dysmorphia. Um, our special guest today is Elena Curry, registered nurse and co-founder of Aesthetic Med, Australia's first 24-7 complication and safety support service for all aesthetic practitioners. Elena, thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Welcome. In our last podcast, we discussed cosmetic injectables, adverse reactions, and practitioner support. And you mentioned that a psychological focus is crucial to identifying, you know, what the drive is to have these treatments and whether patients are doing it for the right reasons. Um, can you give us a quick overview of what body dysmorphia is and why it's important to keep this in mind as part of every cosmetic consultation? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess for before I probably get into too much about it, I guess I have to kind of do a disclosure as much as I've done a lot of research and, and reading on body dysmorphia. Obviously, I'm not a, a psychologist per se or an expert on the, on the matter. So um, in saying that, you know, I would recommend the practitioners that are listening to this podcast to actually look at the Australian Psychological Society's website. There's actually a, a fantastic document entitled The Psychological Evaluation of Patients Undergoing Cosmetic Procedures um, on their website. So that gives some really great information and guidance into BTD specifically sorry into the um, cosmetic industry so um, but look characterized body dysmorphic disorder is essentially it's a psychiatric disorder so it's characterized by the, the preoccupation with an imagined defect in someone's physical appearance or a completely distorted perception of one's body image so it is you know a diagnosis psychiatric disorder it's not a simply a case of having poor body image um, the BDD is often associated with compulsive behaviours or thoughts related to that perceived flaw. So things like repeated mirror checking or potentially completely avoiding a mirror entirely, um, repeatedly changing clothes, clothes sorry, throughout your day, wearing excessive makeup or wearing like incredibly um, loose clothing to camouflage their perceived flaw um, are just sort of some examples of, of kind of signs and symptoms of that. Um, these kind of behaviours and thoughts can actually be anywhere from three to eight hours per day. So it really is quite consuming for an individual with BDD. Um, in terms of why it's important to keep this in mind, I guess, in our industry, I mean, for me, it's really a duty of care. I mean, ultimately, we're altering people's physical appearance. So if somebody has a distorted perception of their physical appearance, we need to know this so that we can actually guide them in the right direction because actually treating people with BDD isn't actually successful. Like studies have only shown about 3.6% of patients with BDD actually have an improvement in their symptoms following cosmetic treatment. So the vast majority obviously remain not only unchanged, but actually sometimes even worse or more preoccupied with the perceived flaw. So I think it's really important for practitioners to kind of weigh up, um, you know, various kind of questions, I guess, in their consultation as to how they're um, screening for people with BDD, um, because actually treating them can lead to obviously not only just dissatisfaction, but also into aggressive behaviour towards a practitioner, you know. There's, um, I know of several practitioners, obviously, that have had 
threats to sue or have had defamation on social media or the internet. Um, but in obviously in rare cases, it can actually lead to physical abuse as well. Wow, thank you so much for those insights. So um, what, are, what are your um, tips and your advice? What questions do you ask in consultations? You know, um, how do the answers guide your next steps, I guess? And, and you know, what is the main thing a practitioner should keep in mind when conducting a cosmetic consultation? Yes, I think in terms of a screening for BDD, the, the gold standard is the actual body dysmorphic disorder questionnaire. So it's the BDDQ. Um, there have been a lot of variants in the BDDQ. So there is actually a specific one related to the dermatology industry, which is um, probably the most appropriate, I guess, for non-surgical cosmetic um, procedures. I think obviously, you know, we're not at the moment, we're not in the current state of those questions being normal questions to ask in a, in a cosmetic consultation. So I think sometimes they can kind of be seen as being quite, um, I guess, confronting or sometimes, you know, if, if we're asking them directly to the patient, it may be interpreted by the patient as being kind of nearly an interrogation. So I think for me, the main goal of a consultation is to actually find what that main driver is that's brought the patient in, what their current emotional state is, and also their level of insight into their own emotions or their self-perception. So we all obviously have our, our um, issues, I guess, or our hang-ups about our appearance, but it's actually really kind of trying to identify exactly how much this is, you know, I guess, affecting their emotional state and also kind of what their level of, of expectations are. So, you know, simple questions. I mean, obviously medical history form is, is essential so I, I really like to have, you know, questions that kind of are a little bit dedicated towards mental health. So looking at a personal family history of anxiety or depression as an example. So there is a link between BDD and other mental health conditions as well. Um, if patients are on particular medications to help with anxiety or depression, I think it's really important that we actually kind of extend on that and not simply brush over those medications. I think we need to you know, just understand, I guess, what their triggers are. Are they currently, you know, um, finding the medication helpful? Um, just so that we can kind of have an idea as to their, their psychology before having the treatment. Um, but I think essentially just trying to, yeah, find out that driver. So what has brought you in today? You know, have you had any other previous cosmetic treatments? I think is incredibly important. So I think if somebody has, you need to gauge the experience that they've had with their previous injector. Um, that's essential because ultimately the idea of, of anyone coming in to see me is that I, I would like to be that same practitioner that is seeing them for the next five to ten years. Um, so if they've been to multiple or one other injector before, it's really important for me as a practitioner to understand why they've changed so that I can obviously make sure that I'm meeting their needs as well. Perfect. That sounds great. Are you aware of any common mistakes? Um, that are potentially made in consultations that could lead to problems and how those can be avoided? Yes, I think in terms of consultations, I mean, everyone does things differently. So naturally my way is not the highway. Um, but I think, you know, over the years, you, you obviously learn and you adjust your style accordingly. I think one of the most common mistakes that I hear from a training perspective is really a, a poor choice of communication. So a lot of kind of negative terms so things a very common example of that is that you know what are your concerns um asking a patient what are your concerns now um really i think we need to be trying to use terminology that is i guess 
more of a positive mindset. So in terms of instead of using that, you could use, for example, you know, what is there anything in particular that you would like us to address? Um, and just sort of letting them guide the consultation, I think, is really important. Another thing that I see quite a lot of is pointing out flaws versus pointing out strengths. So I think we really need to understand the psychology of what's happened, I guess, to patients prior to even coming in for a consultation. So, you know, it's quite nerve wracking for them to actually even pick up the phone and call the clinic, let alone to actually make that appointment to see an aesthetic practitioner who is ultimately in their eyes going to assess their face. Um, and so, and that in itself can obviously be very nerve wracking. So I think we need to highlight strengths. The patient really ideally needs to be feeling better before you've even treated them. That's pretty much my, my angle of consultations. Excellent, that, that's really amazing advice. Thank you so much for that. Um, so Eleanor, do you have any more tips around how a practitioner can, I guess, create an environment of trust um, and also set appropriate expectations with the client? Sure. In terms of appropriate expectations is challenging for all clients. Um, I think that does come down with experience. I think we all make this mistake at some point um, in terms of we, we tend to sometimes, you know, somewhere in along our journey, we, we overpromise and perhaps underdeliver, um, or perhaps we just don't communicate what the realistic outcome is of these treatments and just sort of presume that a patient knows these expectations. Um, so I think it's really important to just make sure that we're actually taking it back from scratch, having a, a, a kind of a, a flow of education um, as well. So getting the patients to actually understand why it is that you're recommending in relation to, you know, from an anatomical perspective or an assessment perspective. Um, I think patients tend to respond a lot better if they actually can understand the clinical reason as much as we don't want to bombard them with certain terms they need to actually understand um, so that they can make sense of what you're trying to suggest in terms of cosmetic treatments um, in terms of expectations for you know setting expectations for people that have suspected body dysmorphic disorder i mean in all honesty i would recommend avoiding treating somebody with potential bdd um, ultimately setting expectations for somebody who has a completely distorted perception of themselves is really not possible. Um, and I think no matter what you, it is that you suggest or try to do, you can actually make the situation a lot worse. Um, right, okay. So let's talk about supporting paperwork to ensure the practitioner and patient are safe and aligned, aligned in terms of treatment and expected results. What are the must-have? Must have paperwork, uh, definitely a medical history, as I kind of mentioned before. Um, so, and by that, any kind of medical treatments that they've ever had, a lot of the times patients will actually um, just say oh, it's nothing significant, but in actual fact, they've had some surgical procedures, probably not in not too, not too distant past. So really important to kind of know everything and, and probe for a bit more information. Um, certainly a skin history, any kind of dermatological treatments or history of skin cancer is really important. Treatment history is an absolute must. Ideally, you know, um, what they've had before, they should be able to hopefully tell you exactly which product and if they don't know I think it's really important as a practitioner to actually either have the patient call the clinic to find out or perhaps even calling yourself um, just to make sure you know that you can actually inject in that particular location with that product. Um, definitely dedicated consent forms for each treatment so not just one combined one for injectables but particularly for filler 
a consent form really needs to include the consent for the use of hyaluronidase um, in the event that there's a complication. So that's a really important addition to consent forms. Most consent forms that I've seen in training and things like that don't actually have that at the end of the consent form. So a really important because hyaluronidase is a, is a you know, um, needs to be consented and obviously has its own risks, but it's obviously really important if we do have a complication that we're actually able to use that as quickly as possible. Um, and the other one that I would say is also very important is an aftercare form with an after hours phone number for the practitioner who's treating them. That's really important. That's kind of one of the ones that I guess that we obviously see and hear about, you know, in terms of that ends up an adverse that ends up being um, not managed within an appropriate time frame because just simply the contact details weren't there. Right. Um, how often do you think, um, you know, practitioners deal with patients with um, body dysmorphia? Do you have any stats around that? In terms of prevalence rates, so BDD kind of affects the general population of about 2%. Um, it's slightly higher in women than men. Um, in terms of though in our industry, in terms of cosmetic and dermatology industry, there's definitely been much higher rates documented from anywhere from 16, sorry, 7 to 16%, um, which obviously makes sense given our core focus is physical experience. So, you know, I guess how many we, yeah, I think there's a bit of a difficult line to draw between, you know, generally accepted, um, I guess, poor body image, which is kind of being referred to actually nowadays as what they call normative discontent. So it's kind of considered very normal to actually dislike your appearance now with the rise of social media and the internet and filtered and photoshopped images. So, you know, that it's hard, it's a hard line to try and find, okay, well, you know, where in that spectrum is somebody actually, you know, going to kind of be that psychiatric diagnosis or where is somebody kind of just to having a low, a low perception um, of body image, uh, which is, can, can be obviously quite tricky. There is one study that actually revealed that when they actually looked at BDD patients, actually revealed that 20% of BDD patients actually had studied or had some sort of a background in art or design. Um, yeah. which kind of explains actually why even many practitioners in our industry actually end up with a very overfilled appearance, although they may actually be very good aesthetic injectors mm. themselves. So, yeah, I just thought that was quite interesting. Wow. Um, Eleanor, thank you so much for those interesting insights, obviously, into a very important issue. So for practitioners who wish to learn more and, you know, access additional support and training resources, can you tell us um, how they can join the Aesthetic Met Network? Sure. In terms of joining Aesthetic Met, you know, the easiest way to join is just by the website, which is www.aestheticmet.com. Sign up is really easy. Obviously, it's only open to registered healthcare professionals um, for various reasons, obviously, being the content that's included inside. Um, but, yeah, we do have, obviously, a wealth of information there related to safety, safety and aesthetics as well as um, body dysmorphia. So I think it's really important for people to also be, you know, networked with local psychologists or psychiatrists so that they can actually refer patients on um, but we also have links within the site to obviously some relevant um, and credible kind of websites and studies as well which is really important to read. Excellent well thank you so much again for your time today and we look forward Pleasure. to catching up again next month. Thanks yeah. Eleanor. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.